Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. This is study number 17. As we are moving through the book of the Revelation, thank you for being here. And uh, we are going to be concentrating on Revelation 9 tonight as we continue our study through the book. And we're grateful that at this point in the study that we have seen the Lord's hand. And as we move through the book of Revelation, we realize at this particular point, as we're opening chapter 9 tonight, that we are in the midst of the great tribulation on the earth. If you remember back in chapter 5, God Almighty, this is on your sheet, God Almighty holds a scroll. That scroll is the deed, the title of ownership to the world and to all the universe which was created by God. However, of all the residents of heaven, there is only one who has the authority and the ability to take that scroll from the very hand of God the Father, and that is Jesus Christ, His Son. He is the only one who can take possession of ownership of the universe. And the reason for that is He is the one who died on the cross, and He is the one who is the living Lord. This scroll is sealed with seven seals. It is rolled with a seal, rolled, sealed, rolled, sealed, so that as you break each seal, you reveal a part of this scroll. If you remember, the scroll, as it's described in the Bible, is written on both sides. That means that God's word and God's judgment is full as the Lord unrolls the scroll of tribulation. Jesus alone is worthy as our owner. If you remember back in the Gospel of John, Chapter 1, we find out that Jesus Christ indeed is the creator of our universe, the creator of our world. In John chapter 1, you know these words, and if you do not have a Bible open with you right now, when you hear the word, word, it is with a capital W, and it refers to Jesus, the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now listen to verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was there in the moment of all creation. In the days of creation, Jesus played a part in the creation of the universe But because of his act of salvation of the universe, he is the one who has the authority and the ability and the power to hold the scroll of ownership. He died on the cross. He is resurrected from the grave to overcome death and hell and to redeem this fallen creation that had developed in God's creation. So he is worthy as our Lord and he is worthy as the owner of the universe. Now, the scroll seals represent punishments against this old, lost, earthly, sinful order. You remember, as we have begun this study, with the opening of chapter 4, the church is never mentioned again. While chapters 1 through 3 deal with the existence of the church and the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, once chapter 4 opens, the church is gone. 
The church is never mentioned again. The church has been raptured out, caught out, taken to heaven with the Lord God Almighty. So the church is no longer on this earth. We have been extracted off of the earth. With the opening of every seal, a great tribulation is poured out against sin and against unrepentant lives. Thus far, we have studied Jesus opening six seals and every tribulation that has been delivered to the earth as each seal has been opened. Chapter 8, Jesus opens the final seventh seal, which is the greatest seal of punishment against the hard-hearted against the callous, unrepentant, hard-headed sinner who will not willfully accept God's offer of grace and salvation, which comes by way of the cross and the empty tomb. Now, again, I want to remind you of a statement that I've made several times, but I always want to make sure that we cover this statement in these great tribulations because they are so bad and they seem to be so horrible And there are many people who point their fingers to God and they say, how can a loving God allow these horrible things to happen on his earth? This is his creation. We are creations of his hand. How can God Almighty allow these things to happen within and upon his creation? 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says, God is love. How can God be love and yet we see these tribulations coming upon the earth and people losing their lives? God is love. But remember that God's love is balanced against perfect righteousness and judgment. He's not this mushy old grandfather kind of love. His love is balanced with justice, and that's important. God does not tolerate sin. So it is God's right to punish the unrepentant believer as much as it is his right to give salvation to the believer. And that's the key statement, and that's on your sheet. It is God's right to punish the unbeliever as much as it is his right to save the believer. That's an important statement. That's explanatory as to why these great tribulations can be poured out upon the earth. Okay, seal number seven is open, the last one. Its wrath is carried out by the blowing of seven trumpets by seven angels. You have a little diagram on the back of your sheet so that you're not tangled up there. The first six seals are broken and the Tribulations are carried out, boom, 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 six times, six tribulations. When the seventh seal is broken, then it becomes seven trumpets that carry out the seventh seal. When you get to the seventh trumpet, then you get to vile judgments as well. So the seventh seal is opened. It's the last one, blowing of seven trumpets by seven angels. The first four trumpets, as they are blown, sets nature in a tailspin. We see that throughout chapter 8. Hail and fire fall upon the earth, destroying one-third of the trees, destroying one-third of seawater because it becomes blood. One-third of all the sea life in the oceans dies. One-third of all the drinking water is rendered undrinkable. And the light of the sun and the moon and the stars is reduced by one-third. Basically, what we see happening as trumpets one through four of the seventh seal are blown, we are seeing the earth dying. The oxygen supply is lessening. The day 
is getting dimmer. The night is getting longer and deeper. The seas are dying. Everything happening is dying. We see uh, the grass dying, trees dying, oxygen depleted. The earth itself is dying. God is allowing that process to take place in trumpets one through four. Now tonight, we're going to look at seal number seven with the blowing of trumpets five and six. During this phase of the Great Tribulation, this is on your sheet, the devil and his demons are going to be released and hell is going to run rampant on this earth. This is an awesomely terrible scene that we're going to see tonight in the blowing of this fifth and sixth trumpet of great tribulation. So chapter 9, let's look at trumpet number 5. It's chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Hear God's word. Again, I remind you that whenever we read this word, according to the promise of chapter 1, verse 3, Reading it will bring blessing. So tonight, hear these words from Revelation chapter 9, beginning with verses 1 through 12. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun... And the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Keep your Bible open. We will continue to read in just a few moments after we cover this trumpet. When the fifth angel blows his trumpet of the seventh seal, a star falls from heaven to earth. And that is Satan himself. The star falling is Satan himself. If you remember in Ezekiel chapter 28... 
there is a description of Satan's beauty. But he becomes proud and he becomes corrupt before God and God casts him out of heaven because of his pride. Ezekiel 28, 17 says, God cast him to the ground. So Satan is thrown to the earth and God gives him the key to a bottomless pit. Satan wants that key. And God allows Satan to have that key for a certain period of time. Now, this pit is a prison. It's a prison for countless vile demons. And Satan opens this pit with the key that God allows him to have. And the earth is invaded by these demons of hell. The demons are perceived by John, the writer of Revelation, to be in the form of locusts. Now, I want us to study for a moment the appearance and the action of these demons as they ascend out of this bottomless pit. There are swarms of them, multiplied millions of these demons that are coming out of this bottomless pit opened by the key that is given to Satan. Now, these demons, as defined by the Word of God, cannot affect the 144,000 evangelists who are at work in the world. If you remember, as we have studied, there were 12,000 from every tribe of Judah, every tribe of Israel were sealed to be evangelists in God. It was an evangelistic force that was made up of Jews who had come to the Lord Jesus Christ. 12,000 from every one of the 12 tribes, making 144,000 evangelists on the earth, bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're very effective. If you remember, it tells us that countless numbers are coming to Christ as Lord and Savior. As these demons ascend out of this pit, they are not allowed by the very hand of God to touch one of the 144,000 evangelists. They're servants of God, and they're protected by the hand of God. So the demons are forbidden to touch God's elect. I also want you to notice that God is still maintaining control here. God has never lost the reins of control. Satan and these demons can do no more than God allows them to do. There is another book that we see that very principle uh, in action in the Old Testament, and that is the book of Job. Remember, in Job, Satan comes before God and he says, Job is a godly man, but if you allow me to test him, he will walk away from you and he will deny you. And if you will recall, God allows Satan to affect Job's life, but he puts parameters around what Satan can do to Job. Finally, God says to him, you can do anything except you may not take his life. So God maintains control. Even when the demons are active on the earth, God's hand is in control of it all. They're forbidden to touch the 144,000 sealed servants but they could feed on other men and women of the earth. Now, these demons take the form of looking like locusts, and they could not kill people. Again, remember God's parameter. He said you can affect people, but you may not take their lives. The demons, however, could torment humanity for five months. 
and they inflicted scorpion stings that caused tremendous, horrible pain in people's lives. Now, I've never been stung by a scorpion. Anybody had a scorpion sting in the congregation? I understand that it is one of the most painful stings in all of nature. In fact, the pain of a scorpion sting lasts for a long time, and the pain of these demon scorpions is so strong, so horrible, so powerful, that those who are stung by these locust demons beg for death. They wish they could die. They ask to die. But according to Revelation, people are not going to die. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. These demons are charging the earth like horses that are rushing into a battle, and they wear crowns, and that indicates that they have an earthly dominion or an earthly control at this point, and they cannot be stopped. It's also interesting to see that these are not simply insects that have grown into something on steroids, but rather these are very different in that they are intelligent beings. These demon uh, locusts and scorpion stings are very intelligent. They have faces like men, indicating intelligence. They also have a plan to afflict the world. These are not common bugs. They have a plan to afflict the world. I want you to also notice, according to Scripture, that these demons have hair like women. That's interesting. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, Paul says that a woman's hair is her glory. It is her beauty. So these locust demons must appear beautiful for a moment. There's something about them that's beautiful, something about them that's intelligent. However, when you get close enough to them, according to Scripture, you see that they have a mouth full of teeth like a lion. They have a stinger to inflict pain. So while they may appear beautiful, their intent is to hurt to the point of death, not taking a person over the line of death, but to the point where that person is begging for death. John says that their wings beat the air and it sounds like chariots rolling into battle. It must be a, a horrible sound. So the constant loud roar of these millions upon millions of locust demons never stops. You can't get away from them. You know, you watch those horror movies where whatever is coming at you comes toward the house and you realize that even the, the walls and the windows of your house are not going to protect you from the onslaught of what's coming. That's what we see here. There is no real protection from this onslaught of five months of these locust demons that are invading the earth. Millions of demons attacking the earth and they have a leader. They have a general. They have a king. His name in Greek is Apollyon. The Greek name is Apollyon, A-P-O-L-L-Y-O-N. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, A-B-A-D-D-O-N. Now, this is not Satan. This is a leader demon. But again, this is the planning demon. This is the one who's, who's coming up with the battle plan to subdue humanity, Again, these are not common insects. They have a plan to take over and to afflict and affect the entire world. So seal number seven, trumpet number five, brings locusts, demons, 
to afflict humanity for five months. So after five months, the woe is past. And two are yet to come. Now look at chapter 9, verse 13 forward. Let's read to the end of that chapter. The sixth trumpet. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And thus concludes chapter 9 of Revelation. Four spirit persons have been bound or are incarcerated with, uh, at the edge of the river Euphrates, E-U-P-H-R-A-T-E-S, the river Euphrates. Now, these four angels are not godly angels. These are demon angels. They're fallen. They're evil. They're wicked, unrighteous angels, demon angels. It is interesting that they are bound at the same river, that flowed through the Garden of Eden. This is also the river by which the first murder took place as Cain killed his brother Abel. This is also the river by which the Tower of Babel was constructed. Now, we see these four demon angels released to kill humankind, where the locust demons could not kill In this next trumpet, this sixth trumpet, we see death coming for human beings. These angels, these demon angels are released at a very particular time. God has a specific time for every one of these tribulations to take place in the course of his punishment and judgment against sin and unrepentance. The Bible says the day and the minute that these angels of death are going to be let go, it's all under God's control as they are incarcerated by the river Euphrates. Now, here's what's going to happen according to the word when these angels are set free. It says here they're going to be free for one year, one month, one day, one hour. And in the course of that period of time, 
one-third of all men and women are going to die in their sin. And hell is going to be their eternal destiny. Now, if you remember chapter 8, when the fourth seal was opened, one-fourth of the earth's population dies. Now, today, tonight, with the seventh seal and this sixth trumpet, it says that one-third of the remaining population will die. So how many people then, from the tribulations that we have seen to this point, with, with seal number seven, trumpet number six, how many have died on this earth? Well, let's, uh, let's do just some very simple math. Let's say we have a million people. According to the fourth seal breaking, one-fourth of them would die. That would leave 750,000 people. With this trumpet judgment, it says that one-third then of that group will die. One-third of 750,000 uh, will die, and that means 500,000 are left. So between the judgments, what we see, if you had 100 people, 500,000 are left with this sixth trumpet. So one half of the earth's population has now died because of the tribulation. At the end of the sixth trumpet, one half of the earth's population has died in sin. God is cleaning house. God is getting rid of and judging sin. He is dealing with unrighteousness. Now, verse 16 is very interesting. Look again. Chapter 9, verse 16. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, thousand, and I heard the number of them. Now, in looking at other translations, I know other translations are much more specific than that. But we are looking at 200 million soldiers in this army of death taking lives. Are they demons in this army or are they humans? I believe, I believe that they're demons. I believe that this huge army that is afflicting the world with death, uh, 200 million soldiers are demons because later on in the book of the Revelation, we're going to see a human army that is gathered at Armageddon. So the human army is yet to come. I believe that this is a demon army that is affecting and killing half of the world's population. Now, verses 17 through 19 describes the army. I believe possibly, now this is a possibility, and I don't think there are some things that we will know until we get to heaven. We can take this quite literally, or we can take it that John is seeing this happen, and he uses the language of his day to best describe what he's seeing. It is possible that he may be seeing weapons of modern warfare here. He may be seeing what we can visualize today, but he had no idea of what it was centuries ago. John is struggling to use his language to make it sufficient to describe this weaponry that's taking the lives of people across the world. So he may be describing something that is of God that we have never seen. We can't conceive of it until we see it with our own eyes. Or perhaps he's describing something that's modern technology of warfare in this day. And, and he's using the language that he has to best describe what we already have in this world this day. But here's the most gripping point of this awesome chapter 9. Look at verses 20 and 21. 
Remember now, one half of the world's population has died in tribulation. You would think when family and friends and communities are losing lives one right after the other, that people would be learning a lesson about the power of God. Isn't that right? But look at verses 20 and 21. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So in other words, while people are dying right and left and ultimately one half of the population of the world is gone, the people who are left behind who are still living have not learned that they need to fall on their knees before God Almighty in submission and under His grace. The people on earth in this day of our future as we see it revealed in Revelation are entirely aware that this is God's wrath affecting the world, being poured out. Demonic locusts are flying. People are dying in vast numbers. Wars are raging. People are dying in every nation and country of the world. But I want you to look at the attitudes of those who are weathering this onslaught of punishment and and living through it. They will not bow their knee to the Savior. They will not come before God in repentance. They will not stop worshiping the inanimate objects of gold and silver, of houses and cars and money and fame. They continue worshiping inanimate things that will lead to hell. They won't ask forgiveness for murder or for witchcraft or for thievery or for immorality. They just continue on in those lifestyles. You know, tonight as we see the existence of the church in this world, we have an absolute necessity to stand on the truth and the veracity and the righteousness of the Word of God. And even though the church exists in America, there are so many millions who will not bow to the Lord. And we preach the word and we live the word and we're going to take the gospel into the world, but so many continue on in lifestyles that are lost. Friends, we need to have a passion for those who are that lost, those who have yet to come to the Lord in repentance. So while the people see punishment in the great tribulation in in awesome force, their hearts remain hard toward God. That describes all too well the human condition. There are so many who are still lost in our world, so many who have yet to fall before a holy God, even when they know better. I believe that in the days of the great tribulation, People are going to see these awesome events taking place. But in this day and in this age, with the existence of the church and this word, people truly know better. But they refuse. That's why we're here. As we continue to be a mission force to go out into the world. It's not that God cannot save. 
It's that people will not bow. People will not come. I think so often about Romans chapter 1. I want you to hear these words. They're probably very familiar to you. But listen to these words. Just sit back and listen. Romans 1, I'm going to begin with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds, four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies being between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1 is very simple. You can see God around every corner. You can see God in nature, you can see the, the God of the universe in creation. You can see the Word of God in this holy book. And yet, people continue in sin. Changing His Word, watering it down, living lifestyles that are directly opposed to His will. And it's not that God cannot save. It's that people will not come. And in fact, they can turn him down so long, according to Paul, he says it three times in those ten verses I read to you. He said, God gave them up. God gave them over to a reprobate, lost, wicked mind. It's not that he cannot save. It's that they will not come. And that's what we see happening not only in the great tribulation, but also in this day. Friends, our work is cut out for us and the ministry of this church to take the gospel of righteousness and repentance and salvation is very much before us to take into this world. And I pray we will do that seriously. We see what's coming one day, but we're living in a world that still desperately needs the risen Savior, Jesus Christ.